listening to the Jesco Bike Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Jeskowitz from Ragbri. I'm Mark Wyatt from the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. This is the podcast where we talk about bicycling just for the fun of it. There's going to be tales from bicycling across the nation, but of course, Iowa is that center of that nation. We're going to be joined by guests each week to talk about the social side of cycling. So come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. Okay, this is episode 29 of the Just Go Bike podcast, and um, I'll tell you a fun event I was just at this weekend. I went over to the Colorado Classic, and if you don't know about that event, it's kind of um, kind of a retooled uh, grand bike race in the Colorado area, and this one incorporated Colorado Springs, Breckenridge, and then a couple of days in Denver, and it was kind of a... Uh, well, I guess a throwback to the old Coors Classic, which was a, a massive fun event back in, in the days um, with with luminaries like Davis Finney had won the, the Coors Classic and the last one. They try to revive that and make it the, the U.S. Pro Challenge, and then that event went under uh, for a couple of years, and this is a different um, reiteration. And, um, you know, they're off to a great start. Um, you know, obviously there's some things that I'm sure they're going to tweak and all that, but had some some of the top, you know, racers in the, in the world that were, were there and four days of, of good racing. Um, coupled with a kind of a music festival, which was kind of cool. They had a couple of good bands cool. out there, Wilco and Death Cab for Cutie. And so it kind of, kind of had a cool kind of vibe, you know, different than Ragbri. I didn't see anyone in their bike kits that were in there listening <laughs> to the music, but, um, but you know, it was kind of cool and it was, it was definitely Colorado-ish if you will. Um, you know, I didn't see any PBRs or anything like that out there. Um, so it was, you know, definitely a different type of crowd, but um hey they like the racing out there they've got mountains we don't have too many mountains um some people would dispute that after day seven of rag ride that we don't have mountains but um <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking we're a little flatter than than breckenridge or colorado springs but good event to start off um you know racing in the states isn't you know what it is in europe or anything close to that um but you know it, it can it can certainly you know improve in this this area we're seeing some some racing obviously we, we're gonna we're gonna talk um, in the near future about about you know cross racing and different different forms of, of bicycle racing but as far as the road racing I mean still dominated by uh, the euros over there and um, you know but hey there's always hope for us Americans so what was what was your viewpoint um, you know were you at the finish or were you midpoint or or just at the beer garden? Well, I was kind of at the finish line. Our, our good friends Primal was doing all the um, all the apparel for the event, and what they were doing basically was printing um, the the podium jerseys. And it was really cool because from the time you know a stage finished, they were there. You know, they had the entire jersey printed except for whoever you know won that that stage. So if they had to put it on a BMC uh -huh. logo onto the 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 finishers jersey, I mean it was done literally in seconds so got to hang out with dave edwards and, and tim baker and all that that gang from primal um very much in tune with with obviously the recreational cycling world but also with with the race crowd and doing those those podium jerseys and all the apparel for the colorado classic real cool cool so you know i've been to crits and i've been to cyclocross but not a real stage race like that so you know you being at the finish was there like big screens you get to watch the whole time and then the big hurrah when they when they all come into the line 
Well, it wasn't quite like that at the finish line. Now, in the festival, they did have some big screens that you can kind of catch mm-hmm. what was going on. The neat thing that they did about with this race was stage three was they started in Denver and came back. And then so you just saw the start and the finish. Oh, the cool. The fourth stage was kind of a expanded crit, if you will, because they came by downtown 10 times. And oh, cool. instead of being a, a mile and a quarter crit, which most people are used to, it was about a six mile crit. So it was kind of neat to to have that experience where you saw you saw the racers come through, you know, about every 10, 12 minutes, something along that line. And, you know, cool. that that part cool. of it was really cool. And um, yeah. I, I think they're going to they're going to learn. I mean, obviously, uh, I, I go in with with event goggles on and saying, you know, if you <laughs> tweak this or tweak that. And I uh, had some good conversations with folks there. But, you know, they got a real powerful uh, leadership team um, that have been doing events for a long time. I'm sure they're going to tweak it and get it get it right, because they've got some good backing. The state of Colorado is behind it and, and the business communities behind it in Colorado. So I, I think we're going to see some good things. And. Just talking to the people, I mean, they, they were off to a good start and happy about the progress that, that you know, pro cycling racing is back in, in Denver and in Colorado. So, so good start for that event. So I think the only thing they're probably missing is 3 million islands. So if they could import <laughs> them, that, pretty much have it taken care of. Yeah. If they, if they would do that, I think the event would, would certainly, um, certainly have a little different scope of it. Uh, you know, we're, we're a little bit crazy with our, our, our cycling here in, in the yeah. great state of Iowa. So, so I'll, I'll make that yeah. suggestion. I think we'll, we'll probably talk to those, those folks a little bit about, you know, just tweaks here and there, but, um, cool. again, great start. And uh, unfortunately they had horrible weather. Um, they had streams coming down the road in Colorado Springs. Oh. Um, the satellites went out, uh, for the live feed. So you've got guys like oh, Bob Roll, like, you know, just kind of talking for a couple hours or Christian Vanderbilt talking for a couple of hours with no idea what's going on with the race. So, um, you know, I really felt as, as an event organizer, you know, what could go wrong that opening day probably did go wrong. And mm-hmm. as far as things that were out of their control and you always hope for the best and, you know, pray you get, you know, 72 degrees and sunny and you know, they didn't get anywhere close to that. They got thunderstorms and winds and, uh, I don't know, a couple inches of rain in, in Colorado Springs and, you know, bikes were basically, you know, basically riding through a stream of, of water. And that's, yeah. that's pretty tough on, on the first, you know, here we are back in Colorado for, for pro racing in the States and they get thrown that. So, um, but Hey, later in the week, it got better. Um, next couple of days, the weather was a little bit better and, and things, you know, things improved. So, cool. um, still some pretty good storms, hail, you know, pretty much storms and stuff like that, but Hey, they got through it. Yeah, okay. nice. So what you been up to, Mark? Well, you know, Jennifer and I needed an adventure this weekend. We didn't have anything on the calendar, which was nice. So we decided to go up to Gilbertville and bike our way over to uh, Cedar Falls. Hmm. Um, so that was a blast. Um, we took the fat bikes, and even though it was paved trail, we just put a little extra air in the tires and rode the Cedar Valley Nature Trail up. Now, there was a gem. This is a new place that's kind of on the trail that I hadn't been to. And this is Single Speed Brewery. Mm. Um, you know, they're over there in uh, in Waterloo now. Uh, they started in Cedar Falls and a bike-themed brewery. Go figure. Mm. Um, 
uh, Dave Morgan's the guy that owns that, and Dave's a great guy, a really good community guy in the, in those two communities. It's built in this old Wonder Bread plant uh, that was uh, a hostess had run for a number of years, and they recycled a lot of the parts and, and brought this building to life. But I can't tell you the amount of bike pictures that I took. He's got... Hmm. Um, a indoor bike parking area. So nice. you don't bring a lock, just bring your bike inside. But even better than that, he's got an overhead door that's the bike door. So you don't have to struggle getting your bike in and out. Um, Very nice. You can just push the button and open the door. There's directions right there. Um, and just incredible, you know, bike tools and an air station and a map to get you back on the trail system. Um, and a big outdoor patio and a kid's rec area and a couple of bars and a sit down. He's even got a gift shop right in the middle mm. of his brewery. So I Good. was, I was just shocked and amazed and, and, uh, you know, we need to, uh, we probably need to talk to, uh, Dave about getting single speed in as a, as a sponsor of this podcast. Cause they really have bikes on the brain there, which is cool. Maybe we could do a live, yeah. uh, you know, podcast from single speed. Hey, you don't have to ride a fixie, do you? Do you, can you ride anything no. in there? Okay. Just check. Um, but it, and so the two single speed breweries, the one in Cedar Falls and Waterloo, are eight miles apart, all on trail. So they host a pint night where you go to Bike Tech and and uh, start your ride there. You go over to the single speed in Cedar Falls, fill up your pint there, and then bike over to Waterloo, do the same, and then come back. Nice. Um, and you know, outstanding ride, great idea, and a whole lot of fun. So very cool. Um, I really. Really can't say enough about the Waterloo Cedar Falls area and uh, what they've done for bicycling. So, so I am guessing they're a bike-friendly business if if they're uh, that yeah. into cycling. You know, if they're not, I bet they are soon. I know okay. they're a supporter of, of the Iowa Bicycle Coalition, so we're really we're really kind of excited. We just uh, we got to figure out a bit, bigger presence in that uh, that facility because they are really really Very outstanding. Cool. So yeah, cool. So what do we have on the show? Oh. I think you did one of the interviews for this week. What you, what you talk about this week, Mark? Yeah, You know, I just finished this up today. I uh, got Brian Leaders uh, with the National Park Service on the phone and uh, Lance Brisbos. Um, he's with the Golden Hills RCND. They're over situated in western Iowa, you know, kind of in the heart of the Los Hills. And uh, they're working on a trail system that follows the Lewis and Clark path from Sioux City down to Hamburg, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this will be a road route mostly, uh, some of its trail, um, but it's an outstanding gem that jumps through those little, uh, mini mountain ranges in Iowa that Ragbri likes to cross every oh, once yeah. in a while. The Los mm. Hills, um, mm. you know, this is a, this one, it looks like a bike packer's paradise. If you want some on-road stuff, it's got it. If you're a gravel, gravel guru, uh, it's got opportunity there. Um, but this is, there's 18 towns along this 212 mile route and it's going to be signed this spring and ready to go and, uh, add 212 miles to Iowa's trails total. <laughs> I'm pretty excited. I'm excited about this trail because it's a lot of fun. And I think yeah. this is, uh, <laughs> this is kind of uh, virgin territory for, uh, yeah. North South yeah. bike route, which is, is well needed in this area. Iowa's oldest trail is a route established in 1804, shortly after the Louisiana Purchase, by famed explorers Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, as they explored the western part of the American continent. 
the 212-mile Lewis and Clark Trail in Iowa is in the next phase for development in western Iowa and is going beyond a line on a map to an actual physical bike route. This route's going to meander through five different counties from Sioux City to Hamburg. It's mostly an on-road trail with separated trail going through Sioux City and Council Bluffs and some of the other bigger communities. Uh, the elevation profile is really interesting because if you're going to go ride that, you, you, you think of the lowest hills. Um, but if you drew a line from Sioux City at 1,100 feet down to Hamburg at 936 feet, that's exactly the way this trail lays out, is a gradual downhill that you can just kind of coast over three or four days. Now, there is an exception, and this is the mini mountain ranges that are the lowest hills. They provide a, a couple of steep climbs, and, and usually there's some ways around it. So about 10 miles of each day, uh, you have some steep climbs, and the rest of it in flat river valley. Um, it's really set up to be a great three-day or four-day ride. Brian Leaders of the National Park Service and Lance Brisboy of the Golden Hills Resource and Conservation and Development Group uh, joins the Just Go Bike podcast to talk about the trail. This team is, is making the Lewis and Clark Trail in Iowa and uh, the Lois Hills Scenic Byway an attraction to bicyclists. And they're working hard on turn-by-turn -turn wayfinding signage that'll help guide bicyclists along the trail. So welcome, everyone. Hello, Mark. Hello. Hey, it's good to have you guys here. And this is a really exciting opportunity, I think, for a long-distance bicycling trail that, that just simply already exists. So tell me about the Lewis and Clark Trail in Iowa and, and walk me through what this route looks like. All right. So as you mentioned earlier, it basically runs from Sioux City in the northwest down to Hamburg, and it follows the route of the Missouri River. Um, and as you mentioned, it's mostly along the river valley, so it's a pretty flat route, but it does follow the Lust Hills also, so... If anybody's interested in, you know, kind of a more challenging route, they could do some side tours into the hills. Um, it is mostly pretty rural. Sioux City and Council Bluffs are the biggest cities on the route. Most of the other towns have just a few hundred, maybe a few thousand people. Um, and you're not, so, I mean, there's a lot of towns along this route. I think 18 or so that we counted up. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah, so you're you're not away from civilization by any means, but uh, but yeah, the two big hills kind of book or the two big towns kind of bookend this route, don't they? Yep. Yeah, and then most of the towns are probably uh, probably not more than ten miles between most of the towns, and so yeah, like you said, you're kind of safe for in terms of um, amenities. You're not going to have to go too far to find some. Right. Water and and uh, your bike breaks down, you need to find somebody to talk to. Yeah, there's plenty of opportunities. Yeah, one of yep. the benefits, Mark, too, that I see is um, we have the Interstate uh, 29 corridor that follows mm. along this route as well. So with that, uh, in result, you basically have uh, restaurants, rest areas, uh, you know, grocery stores, things like that along the interstate and along the route as well. So, like like you said, you're not out in the middle of nowhere by any means. Cool, cool. Uh, so one of the biggest features that we see are the Lowe's Hills. Um, and, and if you haven't been around them, they're really interesting. They look like mini mountain ranges 
um, and they have a very unique soil for formation. And it looks like the route gets a sample of some of those low hills, but uh, also appears to stay close to the, the river valley. So tell me a little bit about that feature and how it looks along the route. So the Lost Hills also pretty much run the same distance, basically just north of Sioux City down to a little bit into Missouri, just past Hamburg. Um, but yeah, they're mountains and miniatures, kind of what they've been called before. Um, windblown deposits of silt, and they're really pretty rugged. Um, from the river valleys, it's in some cases pretty much a vertical slope up to the top, 200 feet or more. Um but then the river valley itself is wide, several miles wide, and totally flat. Um, but the West Hills has the West Hills National Scenic Byway, which runs the length of the hills. Um, and it has a spine, the main route, and it also has some excursion loops that are tend to be more um, rugged. Uh, a lot of them are gravel routes. But the main route is a paved highway um, from Sioux City to Hamburg or north of Sioux City to Hamburg. And then um, the because this route, the Lewis and Clark route, runs parallel to the Lost Hills, for the time being, we're kind of promoting the visitlusthills.org website, which is the byway website, um, kind of using that for both the Lewis and Clark Trail and the byway because the counties are the same for the most part. And so in terms of amenities, um, camping, all that kind of stuff, it's basically mm. going to be the same as what's on the byway, just a few miles to the east of there. That's cool. That's a great idea. Um, uh, bike packing right now is really huge, and and um, this trail really kind of seems situated for that. Uh, Brian, you said it's it's probably an easy trip up to uh, to drop your vehicle and go up the interstate, uh, get dropped off on uh, on Su- in Sioux City. Um, and take a bike packing trip down the down the Lewis and Clark Trail. Uh, what do you guys think the accommodations are like? Is is uh, we talked about the towns being spaced out, uh, great, but you know, camping, hotels, combination, or or both. Uh, wh- what do you think for uh, for a trip down this? So most of the bigger towns, um, Council Bluffs and Sioux City for sure, have multiple hotels, motels. Um, most of the smaller towns do not, except for the ones that are on the interstate and relatively large, like Ottawa, Missouri Valley, Glenwood, Hamburg. Um, they have motels. But tent camping is, there's quite a few places, a uh, few state parks. There's the Les Hills State Forest, a lot of county parks, and then wildlife management areas. And those are all places where people can tent camp. Yeah, and like like Lance said, um, you know, there are those amenities. The the thing that I've found uh, living and growing up in Iowa as well is, um, and especially for bicyclists that are traveling through, uh, it's it's fairly easy to find a, a someone's yard to camp in, uh, or if you run into some bad bad weather conditions or what have you, there are always people that are willing to accommodate um, people that are on bikes and traveling. It seems that the people uh, in Iowa are very uh, helpful and willing to provide uh, shelter for people that are in need. So, you know, if you feel that there are some areas that you're not quite sure about, you know, I would, I would say 
don't be too concerned because there are a number of people along those routes that are very helpful and friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, bike shops are probably one of the big things and, and there's not going to be a bike shop in every town. Uh, but it looks like, uh, Sioux city's got a couple and council bluffs has a couple. Um, any other outfitters or shuttle companies that you think uh, are sprouting up yet? Or is this something that we should start planting the seed to see if uh, somebody wants to make a few bucks hauling bicyclists back and forth? Right now, it's, like you said, pretty much Sioux City and Council Bluffs. Um, there's a small one in Silver City, which is a little bit off of the route. Um, but otherwise, it's mostly in the bigger cities. But okay. we definitely think that that is an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, there, you know, there's a number of entrepreneurs uh, throughout the state as well, and I think as this trail develops, um, we, we hope to have signage on the trail uh, sometime next year, and I think as the signage goes up and more and more people begin to use the trail, I think other services will come along with that. Um, Many trails throughout Iowa and even throughout the U.S. have proven that, that once the people start coming, then the services start to come along with that. So I would see uh, lots and lots of little services popping up along the route. Cool, cool. So what's kind of the status of the current project that you're working on to to align and sign the route? Do you want to tell me more about that? Yeah, I I would be happy to. um, I'll... um, talk a little bit about from the Park Service perspective on how we got involved in this and and how the project is going. But um, a a year or two ago, uh, a group uh, that is involved with the Park Service through our Rivers, Trails, and Conservation Assistance Program has uh, formed what's called the Frontier Iowa Trails Group. This group is... uh, forming uh, as we speak as well, continuing to develop, but they're made up of about uh, five counties, and the interested parties within those counties have come together to work collaboratively to develop trails within their own counties, but yet to also develop trails throughout uh, western Iowa. And so um, just this last December, um, the group had met and talked about what they would like to do for a big project. And so they come up with a list. And as uh, many of us know, this Lewis and Clark route um, through an engineering uh, design firm had uh, done a study back in 2011, finished it up in 2013. And uh, really, at that point, the plans just kind of sat uh, because there wasn't a group willing to take on uh, moving this project to the next steps. And so the Frontier Iowa Trails Group decided maybe it's time to take a look at the Lewis and Clark Today route, which is where could you ride your bike today uh, from Hamburg to Sioux City. And they decided that maybe they should take on uh, raising money to by the signs to designate this route. Long story short, after uh, several calls with the DOT, um, come to find out there was some money that was set aside in 2013 for this, and uh, that money is going to be used uh, to help uh, be seed money, you might say, for the project. Mm -hmm. And so what the group did is we went out to all six counties 
ask them to come up with a uh, match that would be a fair share for each county to match the money that the DOT had. Mm-hmm. All six counties were very excited about the project, and all six counties have agreed to and, and actually have signed an agreement to partner on this project. And uh, therefore, we're, we're moving forward. Um, actually, the, the, the group, the counties as a group, are moving forward as a partner with the DOT uh, to receive the funds and to have the signs built and installed. And hopefully all that will start uh, happening here over the winter winter months, uh, the end of 2017 here, and then hopefully see the signage going up uh, spring or summer of 2018. Cool. So, Brian, what do you think the price tag is on this? Is it is it going to be terribly expensive for signs, or, or it, is this reasonable? It really isn't, uh, Mark. We, we looked at that, and we've done some preliminary studies and uh, we're guesstimating that each sign uh, installed is going to run around $400 per sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, that maybe sounds like a lot, but when you think about it, that's the post, that's the sign being designed and created and installed. Mm-hmm. And so um, the funding that's available uh, requires that a single contractor install all the signs and that we have the plan done, uh, designed through a design firm. So Mm -hmm. we, um, as a group, are working towards uh, putting an RFQ out on the street for design firms. That firm will be selected here in the near future, and we'll be moving forward with the final design and implementation. Cool. I mean, this seems amazing because I've seen so many trail projects that just seem expensive to go just a couple miles and and spend millions on that but uh you know you're getting a 212 mile trail that's that's going to be operational in fact you could ride it today and uh really enjoy it absolutely you know it's and and the the thing is is it is a shared road route so it Mm -hmm. is on shared highway um it's uh low use type highway Um, Mm -hmm. hopefully some trail systems along the way as well Um, i think the the nice part about it is is as this trail develops um, the state of iowa uh, if it's on state route or the individual counties once these signs are up they will many of them will start looking at how can we improve this route so how can we widen the shoulders how can we pave the shoulders or um you know, the, the nice thing as well is um, I think four of the six counties uh, have already done countywide trail plans or are in the process of developing mm-hmm. those. And they have done them or are doing them here uh, with our RTCA program. And so those countywide trail plans will uh, note this trail route and possibly make that as a priority at least for uh, shoulder improvements and so that will give this trail a leg up you might say on Mm -hmm. being able to uh, receive funding sooner or at least uh, receiving the attention that it needs to improve that route sooner than later. Um, I I also see this as an economic driver and, and you can tell me if you think differently but I mean, we've seen that, you know, a bicycle, you could drive this route in, in a half a day. 
but if you wanted to bike it, you're going to take three or four days to do it. And that means meals and lodging and, and supplies along the way, um, which is going to be a much bigger economic input impact than, than driving the route. Um, do you think that the communities are starting to, to realize that there is some, some dollars to be had, uh, as this uh, route becomes popular? I, I think um, for many of the communities, it may take a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the communities that will be impacted by this trail route uh, are not experiencing bicycle trail routes at this time. And so it'll be a learning curve for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a, a decent percentage of these communities that have experienced trail routes as well. So I think... Um, the ones that have experienced it, I think they'll jump on it fairly quickly and probably be ahead of the curve. The ones that have not, um, I think they will come on quicker than most communities that experience a new trail coming into their area because they'll have really good uh, other communities to follow that have uh, great examples of how to accommodate trail users already. Yeah, because we're not very far from the Wabash Trace, which has the famous taco ride. Correct. And, you know, they've seen uh, the steakhouse in Mineola was a, a small place at some point, but not anymore for uh, for taco night. It, it, it's a pretty popular destination. So there's some good examples that are local here, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah, and, the, you know, the really the nice thing about this is um, this will be a 209-mile trail that will go from not really being recognized other than maybe what you can find on the internet to being a signed state designated route. Once this, uh, once the signage goes up, the state will designate it as an official route. Um, we're also looking at the possibility of this route becoming a national bike route mm-hmm. through the National oh. Park Service, seeing that it does follow the Lewis and Clark route. So it has a lot of great potential. Um, it is really from uh, from the start here in this last December, things have happened quickly. Um, but I see a lot of great things happening, not just for this trail, but actually all of the counties that it runs through. So there really seems a lot to explore in this area. And, you know, if you're history buff or railroad buff, there's a lot of kind of interesting things to look at. Um, is this trail something that you're going to be able to get off from and go explore around? I don't think uh, there'd be any problem with um, finding other routes along the way to explore. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, movement going on with people, the gravel grinders, you know, mm-hmm. getting off on gravel roads. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of gravel roads in this area. The really neat thing about it is um, the the loops that can be created off of this trail can almost be endless, um, and they will cover, from my opinion, um, from a beginner to a most advanced uh, cyclist because of uh, the flatness of the river valley up into the hills, the steep slopes, and the, the winding roads. So, um, you know... I, I guess the way I would look at it is the Lewis and Clark Trail is the backbone for Western Iowa, and just the first step, you might say, of a major trail system. Um, at the same time, there will be a number of links and connections into Nebraska. 
Uh, And there are already some loops that are being created on the Nebraska side. Uh, And so it's not just one state you can explore. There's at least two. Uh, Quite honestly, South Dakota is paying attention to what's going on. They're interested in expanding the Lewis and Clark Trail um, as well as into um, Missouri. Uh, That's another project that is coming up, developing a trail down to Kansas City in the same fashion. Um, and also creating loops into Kansas, uh, northeast Kansas as well. So we're really looking at uh, a four-state area that's going to be impacted by this trail. And and we don't mind being first because that means the Nebraskans and the South Dakotans will come over to experience Iowa first and then start their own work in their states, right? Exactly. What what better (laughs) way to explore the trails capital of the world is to... uh, ride the ride the trails in Iowa first. Yeah. Lance, I caught some interesting video footage on Facebook that I think you took. There seems to be kind of a big concentration of B-level gravel roads and those are the those minimum maintenance roads that people don't normally travel on. Did you get a chance to ride that or was that somebody you knew? Yeah, I did. I rode there's one road up in uh Harrison County. It's in the West Hill State Forest and it's just basically a dirt road cut out i mean it's probably 20 feet deep in some places and it's just basically wide enough for one vehicle wow uh, but there are several other roads like that in the Lust hills oh fun that's i think yeah. that's gonna that's gonna be one of the other outstanding opportunities is that you can you can get off this trail and have some fun too so mm-hmm. uh, this seems like a really great project so what brought you two to work on this why, why do you think this is so important well, um, I hate to say the the old cliche, but it's my job um, <laughs> as uh, as an employee of the National Park Service and within the Rivers Trails and Conservation Assistance Program. We work with community groups to develop hiking, biking, and outdoor recreation uh, programs. And so, I initially got involved uh, with this project with uh, through Pottawatomie County Trail Planning and Mills County trail planning and a few other counties that decided they wanted to all start talking to each other and work across county lines. And so I, I helped them form the Frontier Iowa Trails group, uh, which represents um, five counties and uh, actually is now representing two states, Nebraska and Iowa, but yet is also looking to expand more into Kansas and Missouri. And cool. so in informing that group obviously pulled me into the Lewis and Clark project but uh, at the same time um, I guess it's a passion of mine to uh, help create outdoor recreation programs for people Um, you you see more and more uh, people needing to get out and having a reason to get out and, and be healthy and by creating trails and outdoor recreation programs it's it's a great opportunity for that um and I'll let Lance speak for himself, but um, a big part of uh, Golden Hills RC&D's involvement is they are such a great group to work with, and they're very uh, good at working with communities along the uh, Lus Hills that um, they were just, a, it was a no-brainer for them to get involved in many of the projects that I've been in on as well. So Lance, do you have a particular motivation that brings you to work on this project? Um, well, kind of like Brian said, so Golden Hills 
coordinates three scenic byways in Western Iowa, including the Lutz Hills National Scenic Byway. Um, and so it ties into that really well, we think. But we also just have a almost 40-year history of a lot of different conservation and sustainable development uh, projects throughout Western Iowa. So it aligns closely with our mission, and we think that bringing more people into Western Iowa to you know, spend time is good for the local economy, but also getting our own residents out and exploring their backyard is important, important too. Cool. Well, I, I think I want to lay down the challenge that the three of us and, and uh, some other staff from, from your both offices probably need to take a, a bike trip down this, uh, down this great trail and give it a try, sort of a ground truthing mission. If you, if you, if you want to think of it that way and just make sure this works before the public gets a chance. What do you think? I agree. Yep. Sounds good to me. Cool. Well, thank you, Brian and Lance for sharing your work on the Lewis and Clark trail. This is a real gem. I, I hope we have the opportunity to explore this trail very soon. There is a website uh, that's in the beginning stages, Lewis and Clark trail, Iowa.com. There's also the Lois Hill scenic bike byway, uh, that you can get uh, more information on accommodations in the area. So I encourage you to check that out. And let's start planning your trip on the Lewis and Clark Trail. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. This is Andrea and Kathy Murphy and Gracie the dog and we're here for an out of the cage edition of Parrot Talk. That's right we are out of the office today so you're gonna hear a lot of background noise but just get used to it that's real life for you. So Murph I'm really happy to have you here. I'm glad to be here. Uh, So we're here to a talk about Parrot Talk questions but B promote our draft cycle party that's coming up on September 14th in Coralville. It'll be at um, Fuzzy's Tacos, and it'll it's sponsored by People for Bikes, so it's going to be a really cool time of talking about bikes and business and, of course, beer and margaritas. We've got some good speakers lined up, too, so uh, be sure to go to Facebook or to one of our websites and check out the details. So September 4th, we hope, I'm sorry, September 14th, we hope to see everybody there. Yeah, you should just have to search Draft Coraville in Facebook, and it should come right up. So, um, Murph, what do you want to talk about today? Well, I have an important topic that I think that Parrot Talk... Actually, before I even start there, I got to tell you, I love listening to the Just Go Bike podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. And I love Parrot Talk. Like, oh, you, you. you cracked me up your episode of the post-Ragbri, you know, how everybody's like, oh, man, we have to wait a whole nother year for another Ragbri? I thought it was excellent. I know. It's the harsh reality. We got a whole nother 340 days or whatever. Oh, but geez. We're going to yeah. have to deal with that. So, <laughs> But I do have a topic that probably everybody thinks about, but nobody really wants to talk about, or they don't really want it to have happen to them. Okay. And the topic is flat tires. Oh, dang it. I know. <laughs> and I don't mean the the flat tire lounge in Madrid, which is well, a great place to go. I'm talking about fun, yeah. literal flat tires on your bike. Oh, that feeling when you feel the air come out of your bike and it's just like, oh, dang it. So have you had a flat tire before? Um, I've had at least one. Yeah, yeah, I've had quite a few. I did have one on Ragbri several years ago, but luckily it happened really close to a, a bike repair stand, so mm-hmm. I was able to 
not have to fix it myself. Actually, Ragbri can be one of the best places to have a flat tire because people will help you change it. But um, if you can't change it, maybe you should learn. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to talk about is that there are times when you're out on a bike ride, maybe you're solo, maybe you're with friends, and somebody's tire goes flat or your own goes flat. There's, there's a few things... I think that we could talk about that could help listeners out, um, even if you don't know how to change a flat tire personally. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really mean to make people feel bad if you don't know how to change a flat tire. You can learn. Anyone can do it. But if you don't know, there are options. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the basics to start with is hopefully you have a spare tube. Mm-hmm. And something that maybe not everybody realizes but there are different size tubes for different size tires yes and that's important to figure out ahead of time yes so (laughs) if you're on your road bike that has real skinny tires that tube is going to look a lot different than somebody who's on a mountain bike or a fat tire bike yep and even within say the mountain bike category there are different sizes diameters of wheels that you'll need to pay attention to but if you look on the outside of your tire it'll say that information or you could probably just google your bike yeah. yeah, that would work too. Or stop into your local bike shop and just say, hey, I need a spare tube. That's probably so really, the I think you should have a spare tube with you at all times. Mm-hmm. And then along with the spare tube would be, uh, they're called tire levers. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or tire irons, I've heard them called as well. Yeah. And yeah. they're just, mine are plastic. I think they make them in metal or stainless steel. I don't know yeah, what. Mine are but pink and plastic. But Ooh, pink? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cute. I know. Well, but you can get whatever you want is my <laughs> point. And what tire levers do is they literally go up on into the rim of your tire and they catch the the tire part and give you a chance to get in underneath the tire to get to your tube. Yeah, because the tire is really on that rim pretty tightly. You're not going to be able to just pry it off with your hands. So it's pretty important to have those tire lever, tire levers with you. If, even if you don't even know how to change a tire, then at least someone can help you change a tire. Definitely, definitely. So then let's just say you're able to figure out how to get your tire off of your bike frame, and mm-hmm. then you use your tire levers to get uh, into to find the tube. Yep. The super, super, super important thing is to figure out why you got a flat tire. Yeah, and sometimes that's obvious, like you run over something, but sometimes it's not. Right, and there's nothing worse than changing your tire or changing your inner tube, putting it all back together, and then a mile later you've got another flat. Yeah, oh because my there God. might be something wedged into the actual tire itself. It could be who knows what. Yeah, but. or it could even be the outside tire pinching the tube. You know that's happened a lot, especially when it rains. That happens a lot. Oh so yeah. So you need to make sure that you know everything is free and clear. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so on your packing list of stuff you need, you need a spare. Tube. tube you need those tire levers yep. and then obviously you need some way to put air back in the tube mm-hmm. so there's a couple different options that I'm aware of you can just get a hand pump that yep. could be uh, six inches long it could be a full size from your garage Who yeah knows? I mean it's kind of up to you what you're willing to carry on your bike right and know that it takes a lot of effort to put air into an inner tube with those little hand pumps you're oh gonna have to gosh, be pushing yes. 50, 60, 70 times. Yeah. But you know what? It's better than walking a mile to find the nearest uh, place to get your bike fixed. Yeah. I, if you can even do that, depending on where you're riding. Right. But yeah, I mean, it can be worth it. And I usually carry one of those. Or I have my boyfriend carry one of those. Oh, excellent. Kind of just depends. Yeah. It's always but, nice yeah. to have a pack mule who mm-hmm. can carry your stuff. Yeah, nice. But then Thanks the other that. option, when you don't have a pump, um, if you want to go upgrade a little bit, there are these little canisters called CO2. Mm-hmm. Cartridges? I would call them cartridges. Yeah. Yeah. So they um, 
they're completely sealed and they have compressed air in them. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure yeah. exactly yeah, how yeah. they work. But you screw them into this little lever that pops onto your um, inner tube and it immediately inflates your tire for you. Yeah, and it's super, super cold, so be aware. So if you're not like willing to do all that hand pumping with your, you know, your tiny bike pump, this would be a great option for you, especially if you don't have a lot of upper arm strength like me. <laughs> and you have toothpick <laughs> arms, you can just use the little CO2 canister. And they're pretty lightweight, but you have to buy one every time you want to pump up your tire. So you have to be ready for that. I mean, I don't think it's a big cost, but you just have to expect it. Yeah, so definitely. It's kind of a newer thing in biking, I guess. Newer to me, I don't know. Yeah. but And easier to pack mm -hmm. if you so, want to spend the extra money. You know, if you're really into, like, bike tech, you definitely want to check these out if you haven't already. Yeah. So so let's just say that you don't have an uh, inner tube. Or maybe you've had two flats, and so now you oh, don't know crap. what to do. Okay. Yeah. So patch kits are teeny, tiny, lightweight, mm -hmm. um, but they take a little bit of effort. Yeah, yeah, you have to kind of figure it out. But, I mean, it's this concept is simple. You just put the patch over the hole if you can find the hole. Right. And what happens if you don't have a patch kit, though? Like, is there another option? Do you know another option? I do. You could just take, if you have any cash with you. Oh, yes. Yeah, the folded, yeah. The folded dollar bill. Yeah. You could just, like, fold that dollar bill right up. And you know those dollar bills are actually pretty durable because they're partially made out of, like, fabric or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can just stick that in your tire now obviously you'd want to replace that probably as soon as possible but you know in a pinch like you could macgyver the crap out of that <laughs> so, i like macgyvering i love macgyver <laughs> did you know that macgyver never used guns what never you i know? know he always had like a bar of chocolate and yep. a piece of gum and a bobby pin he just used his brain that's awesome yeah so macgyver awesome. rules <laughs> so if you're biking along if you have these basic tools hopefully mm -hmm. you can figure out how to change your tube mm -hmm. if you can't god there's always such uh friendly bikers that'll come along mm -hmm. and if they don't come along if you've got phone service you could probably phone a friend yeah. you could probably youtube you could probably youtube it i know that also AAA. if you're affiliated with AAA, they will come and help you oh nice if you have their service but i think it's only within a 10 mile radius so it kind of has a couple ifs, ands, or butts in the claws, but that could be an option. Sure. Or else, if all else fails, you have plenty of time to figure out how to change that tire. But in my experience, if you have the supplies, then people are a lot more willing to help you Definitely. change that tire. Definitely. So then you have at least done the, the minimum of effort to try to, like, you know, help yourself. Right, right. And, and obviously, if you're healthy enough to be on your bicycle, you'll be able to just walk. Yeah. You just got to you carry your bike and you walk to the nearest place for help. Yeah. Even if it's yeah. kind of embarrassing. But So then the, the last thing I think we should talk about with flat tires is how to prepare before you go on a bike ride. Okay. I think there's a couple of different options. Um, most bike shops either have classes on how to change mm -hmm. a tire or would be glad to, you know, if you pay them for an hour of their time to go in and say, will you teach me how mm -hmm. to change a tire? I think that it would be really good to have that background yeah time well spent definitely yeah if you have the time and the you know the patience to learn how to do it I would definitely recommend it um, if you haven't already right I know um, gosh it was years ago but I was dry or pedaling with maybe a group of seven people and one of us got a flat tire and everybody pulls over and everyone just looks at everybody else and says now what do we do <laughs> I was the only person that knew how to change a tire and then they all just sat and watched me and I feel like it was a good training time like all right you guys now you'll know how to Learn do up. it yeah yep. or you know 
find somebody else who can do it. But yeah. Anyway, to wrap it up, I think having the right materials on your bike will help you, even if you don't personally know how to change a tire. Yep. yep. But also learning or having your smartphone and you can YouTube anything. Yeah, depending on where you are. Now, if you're in Lansing during Rag Pride this year, you probably couldn't have done that. But then again, maybe somebody would have come along and helped yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. yeah. So I hope this was helpful for you. Yeah. Um, I hope you don't get any flat tires. Um, I would also say, now, it just occurred to me. Oh my gosh, that guy went by really fast on his motorcycle. <laughs> um, I have gator skins on my tire. That's another oh. way to prevent getting a flat tire. To have certain types of actual tires will help you. And what does gator skin mean? A gator mean? skin is like a really thick tire. Not the tube, but the tire, it's like the rubber tire itself. And it prevents like the really basic flats that you might get from a thorn or from a piece of glass or something. Not 100% of the time, but it does help a lot. Um, I know those don't work with every bike, but they are nice to have. So anyway, just thought of that. Excellent. So anyway, if you have any more questions about flat tires or if you want to talk about your favorite strategy for fixing a flat tire, you can get a hold of us at Just Go Bike on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or if you have another question to ask me for Paratalk, that'd be another good place to ask me. Um, or you can send me an email at justgobike at our podcast at gmail.com. So have a great day. Uh, this parrot's going to fly. Okay, we've reached the end of another edition of the Just Go Bike podcast, episode 29 in the books. Who's this sponsored by, Mark? Yeah, this show is made possible by Think Iowa City. It's curious surrounding communities. A couple things we need to point out. September 15th to the 17th is going to be the Jingle Cross World Cup cyclocross race. Uh, exciting time. If you haven't had the opportunity to experience cyclocross, or if you are a longtime cyclocross fan, this is the race to come to because the best in the world are going to be at this race. And if that's not good enough, uh, you want a little Grand Fondo uh, action. The Grand Gable Fondo is October 1st, introducing a gravel route this year. So if you, uh, you want to get your gravel on, mm. uh, join us on the Grand Gable Fondo. Uh, also brought to you by Bikes to You, uh, one of the best bike shops. Uh, I know uh, Coop worked really hard this year on Ragbri to bring out new bunkhouses. So if you want to travel in style on Ragbri, that's the charter that you want to talk to. And then finally, Primal Wear. If you need custom jerseys, bike shorts, accessories, or if you just want to get into some really comfortable stock models for, uh, for bike apparel, Primal Wear is your source. Check them out at Primal Wear. Yeah, sounded good. I got to spend some time again with uh, folks from Primal, based out of Denver, Colorado, and just you know, just great cycle wear. Uh, obviously, if the pros are wearing it uh, as well as as us, uh, you know, daily, weekly, you know, uh, recreational cyclists over here in Iowa uh, and everything in between. So really good stuff. Okay, check out our show notes at justgobike.net. What do you want to talk about on this show? Hey, find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at justgobike. And be sure to subscribe to the Just Go Bike podcast and join us next week for more. Okay, I'll leave you with a, a thought. It's not a question. To bike or not to bike? That is not a question. All right, we'll see you next time. <laughs>